That's a great question. We're going to talk about that this morning. What's up, my church? Happy Time Change Sunday. Happy Spring Break Sunday. Happy National Chip Day Sunday. Right? Did you know that? It was National Chips Day? Not poker chips. Potato, corn, all the others, chips. You know, you can't eat just one. So there. Um, yeah, glad you're here. want to welcome all of our uh, satellite campuses joining us this morning online. <laughs> just the, what? How many satellites do we have? If you're watching us online, we've talked about this, you're a satellite campus. So congratulations. Hey, it's good to see uh, more and more folks coming back to church. Uh, we have uh, so many now that are inebri- inocula- inoculated. And so it's good to have more folks coming to church today. Um, you feel comfortable, right? So uh, where was that? Yeah, Daniel, was, uh, Daniel talked about the card that's on your chair. Uh, if you're not here today, uh, you can come by the office and get some of these. These are invite cards for you to share uh, with your one, right? We're talking about that, and what we're asking you to do is focus on your one. We talked about knowing your neighbors, their names, first, last names, who they are, what they do, knowing about them, being a good neighbor. Uh, and then I asked you to take those uh, neighbor bags, those orange bags with the circle B on them, to take those, fill them with something nice and good and positive, and deliver those to your neighbors or one, that one, whatever. However you want to do that, it's fine. Uh, and then last week, challenged you to host a, either like a neighbor night, which is kind of a mini block party kind of thing. could be anything from cornhole to corn dogs. <laughs> we should have put that on the card. Um, and just have neighbors come over just to get to know each other. Again, it's not a Bible study. It's not a prayer meeting. It's just being a good neighbor. Uh, and to invite them to do that and or invite them to Easter services. So here's how we're helping you do that with Easter services. It's got those listed, including our Saturday afternoon. There's a, a QR code on there for those who have childcare needs from birth through kindergarten. So you can register those kids so we know that we have enough to take care of them. And again, we need tons of volunteers on Easter weekend to help us do that. So appreciate your willingness to sign up and serve. Um, that's important for a church. And so we're talking about all this stuff, who's your one, church deployed. The main reason we do this is because Jesus is alive. Amen? He is alive. He is real. And he invites us to come into a relationship with him. Another reason we do this is because hell is a real place. Can I get an amen? Yeah, so somebody said after the first service, um, well, that was your hellfire and brimstone service. (laughs) Well, we are Southern Baptist, so uh, once a year we have to do that, Um, keep our status. It's going to be a hell sermon, but it's not going to be a hellfire and brimstone sermon. But the the reality is hell is real. And and so we're going to look at a story this morning that actually comes out of the Bible that actually comes from hell. I've shared my testimony before with you guys. Uh, I asked Jesus into my life when I was about six years old. And that really was a result of my parents who became Christ followers about a year before that. I mean, they took us to church because they thought that was the right thing to do, right? The American thing to do. But they really weren't involved in it. But it was a, it was a revival, if you guys remember what those were. 
uh, where they both got saved, mom and dad got saved. And so I, I remember even as a little kid, things started to change. We started showing up at church more. Uh, we started praying before meals. We started having a family devotional. We talked about God more. And, and I was learning and listening even at five and six years old, just paying attention to, to some things. I was a super smart little kid. <laughs> um, but that was all obviously pointing me to Jesus. But I remember the catalyst for me really wanting to give my life to Jesus was a documentary that we watched, mom, dad, my sister, and myself, it was a documentary on hell. I don't know if that was wise for a six-year-old <laughs> to be watching that documentary. But I remember the, the images that were there and the description, of course, the narrator describing what hell is going to be like according to God's word. And I remember that night I just couldn't sleep. I mean, that's all I could think about. I, you know, it was kind of terrifying for me. And so I woke up the next morning. And the first thing I said, Mom and Dad, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> and fortunately, they said, we don't want you to go to hell. <laughs> so... Um, they invited the preacher over that night, and he sat down on the couch, kind of walked through the gospel with me. And at six years old, I didn't know a lot. I didn't know everything, but I knew at that age I needed God in my life. And so he walked me through that, and I prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of my life and rescue me from my sins. Um, and so you now people will give you that argument, well, that's a terrible thing to do. That's a terrible way. You, know, you, don't, you don't try to scare people out of hell with the gospel, you got to talk about Jesus' love. You got to talk about God's love. You got to talk about, and yes, uh, agreed 100%. But I don't think that not going to hell is such a bad motivation. <laughs> I mean, there's more, obviously, more to it than that, but that may be a pretty good starting point, honestly. I mean, it was for me. Because today, as we understand a little bit more about hell, it's going to become very evident you don't want to go there. <laughs> and you really don't want anyone to go there even your worst enemy, when you understand what it all involves. So this is our sermon series, Who's Your One? And so we're focused on sharing the gospel with our neighbors. Through relationship, building relationships, letting them see your faith lived out loud, gospel conversations, not a beating over the head, not a thumping with the Bible kind of thing, but just first of all, letting them see that you as a person, a human being, loves them. You want to be a good neighbor, so you're demonstrating that, which will open the door for conversations of who you are. And through that, being able to share the gospel with them, point them to Jesus. Again, that's our job, right? That's all our job is. Our job is not to save them. Our job is not to convince them. Our job is to point them, and we can do that. And that's what we're focused on. So we talk about the gospel. Now, when you consider the gospel, the gospel is not just telling the story of Jesus. The gospel is who we are. We are people of the gospel. We live the gospel. The gospel impacts every relationship that we have if you're a disciple of Jesus. It impacts your marriage and how you interact and how you are married. It, it impacts your relationship with your kids or with your parents. It impacts your relationship with your friends, with those that you're dating, those you go to school with, those you work with, those you play with, those on your team. The gospel impacts everything, every relationship we have, including our relationship with God. Also, as people of the gospel, one of the things we do is we stand against any injustice that exists in the world. We stand on the truth of the word of God. Therefore, we fight against unrighteousness and injustice in the world. The gospel compels us to take a stand. We're not to be a little holy huddle hidden away in some cave somewhere. We're engaged in culture, right? that culture might change, that culture might be aware that there's a God who loves them. So the gospel, uh, I don't want you to limit it to just a, a gospel presentation 
or sharing the Roman road or something. It is who we are. It is how we live. It's how we think. It's how we interact. This is why we should do this. Why should we share the gospel? Because the world needs the gospel. Because Jesus died to rescue us from sin, and he rose again to give us abundant and eternal life. The second reason is because hell is no joke. Now, there are a lot of jokes about hell, and I've chosen not to share any of those today. But it really is no laughing matter. It is a reality. Whether you choose to believe it or not, it is a reality. So if you have your Bible, look at Luke chapter 16. As we look at this story that Jesus tells, it actually is from hell. Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19. I'm reading from the New International Version. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen or online. Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19. You may want to underline some words and phrases in here. Jesus says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let them warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead, pointing to himself. So one of the questions that comes up uh, in the subject of hell from non-believers is how can a loving God send people to hell? Have you ever heard that question, or that argument? Maybe you've said that, felt that as well. It's, it's a great argument but it comes out of misunderstanding because it's that idea that God is sending people to hell. Well, the truth is we are already headed there. <laughs> Every one of us, as ACDC once said, we're on the highway to hell, right? And that's our only choice. That's the, that's the only thing, that's the only destiny we have. Every one of us, we were born into sin and we were sinners from the beginning. So that's our destiny, everybody is our destiny. So God, being a God who is love, who desires to rescue, who, who desires to save everyone, steps in and provides Jesus, the innocent sacrificial lamb, his only son who dies, who becomes our sin 
and all its ugliness, evilness, wickedness, because we were evil, Jesus becomes all of that on the cross. So hideous, the Father turns away from him. Three days later, God raises him from the dead, therefore conquering sin and death so that you and I have a choice. We have an option. Hell no longer is the only destiny, but now heaven is possible. This is the good news of the gospel. So when you understand God and who he is and you know his heart, you realize it wasn't that God was sending us to hell. That's where we were headed. But because of his love, he rescued us. He said there's another highway. It's a narrow highway, but there's another choice. This is the truth of the gospel. This is the truth that people need to hear. This is the truth wrapped up in John 3, 16 and 17. Famous verse, we memorized it as kids, as kids, we see it at ball games. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We were already condemned. We were dead. We needed to be rescued. There was nothing we could do to get off that highway. And God, in his love and mercy and grace, steps in. Jesus did this, went to the cross, rose again, because Jesus knows that hell is real. And Jesus, even to the extreme, ramps it up to how important it is not to go there. Listen to what he says in Mark 9, verse 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus says, look, man, if, if you can't stop this, if you can't deal with this on your own, hey, it'd be rather for you to pluck your eye out, to remove that temptation and go into heaven with one eye than go into hell with two. If you can't accept the redemption, the rescue of Jesus, that's where you're headed. So understand, it'd be better to walk around this earth maimed. Now don't do that, right? That's, that's an example of how extreme and how serious he is about not going to hell. It would be better for you to be in agony now, spend eternity in joy, than walk around normal now and spend eternity in agony. That's the point that he is making here. In fact, Jesus spoke on hell three times to every one time he spoke about heaven. When he was teaching, that's how much he highlighted the importance and the danger of hell. I remember as a teenager, we went through different evangelism classes. Evangelism is basically sharing our faith, how to share our faith. And I was trained in several different CWT. You guys, you Southern Baptists may remember some of these acrostics, uh, Christian witness training. Uh, my favorite one was EE. Remember EE, evangelism, explosion? And so we were trained, and then we would actually go to the malls, and we would sit down in the food court and just kind of cold call on people. And we'd ask them two questions, interrupting their meal. I don't know if that was the best way, but we would sit down and we'd say, uh, hey, can I ask you a question? If you were to die tonight, do you think you would go to heaven? And pretty much everybody would say, yeah, yeah, I think I would go to heaven. And so the next diagnostic question is, so if you were to die today and stand before God and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? 
and you know, nine times out of 10, sometimes I don't know, but most people would say, well, because I'm a good person. I do good things. I support charities. You know, and they just ran down this list of good things. And so we began to explain to them why good is not good enough. Because it kind of supports that idea that I think a lot of people have who are not in the church that heaven is for good people, hell is for bad people. But the truth is, even today, there are good people in hell. Good people do go to hell. Now, according to Scripture, none of us are good according to Jesus. In comparison to Jesus, not one of us is good, but humanly speaking, there are good people who aren't necessarily followers of Jesus, but they do good things. I mean, we, we define goodness in certain ways, right? And there are people that maybe not believing in Jesus, but they do good things. But that's not enough. That's not the answer. That's not the right answer. So there are good people in hell. The rich man, I mean, he had some goodness. He, doesn't, he sounds like a mean guy, but he let Lazarus hang around his gate. He didn't run him off. He let him eat breadcrumbs off his table. I mean, he showed a little bit of compassion at least. So even this guy had some goodness, did some good things, but he winds up in hell. There will be good people in hell. And, and the truth is, eternity is way too long to be mistaken on this one. Eternity is forever. You don't want to blow this one. You don't want to get this one wrong. 1 John 5.13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Not hope you have it, wish you have it. You may know. We have assurance of eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's not a gamble on if we we're good enough or how we live our life. Did we give enough? Did we share enough? Were we nice enough for God to listen to heaven? That's, that's a crazy way to live, how debilitating that is. Because how do you know? What's the measure? What's the mark? Well, the mark is Jesus. If you can be perfect like Jesus, all right. Well, we blew that years ago. So there had to be another option. So when you talk about eternal life, a lot of times people think, well, the opposite of eternal life is eternal death. That's not true. The opposite of eternal life is eternal suffering. Everyone who has ever lived, everyone who has ever been born, is still alive today. Their spirit lives on in one of two places, heaven or hell. When people are who are not disciples of Jesus die, they don't just disappear. There's, just, there's no more trace of them. Their spirit goes to hell. That's the reality. This is what the Bible teaches us. And so that reminds us that hell is no joke. It is a place of torment, verses 23 and 24. Now understand, the rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he was poor in the things of God. Maybe he thought his wealth would get him in. And Lazarus didn't go to heaven because he was poor. He went to heaven because he was rich in the things of God. He understood the importance of a relationship with God. So it's not their financial status that sent them one place or the other. It's their decision about Jesus. It's what they did 
about Jesus. You know, when, have you ever gotten so mad at somebody, you just said, why don't you just go to heaven? We don't say that, right? If somebody's really angry at someone, they're going to tell them to go to hell. Why? Because that's the worst place we can imagine. When you want somebody to suffer, you want somebody to hurt, that's where you want them to go. Because that is the ultimate place of torment and suffering and pain. But when you think about it, I mean, you think about hell, hell makes sense for the Hitlers of the world, right? The Bin Ladens, the Saddam Husseins, the Stalins. That makes sense. That's, that's for those people. But the truth is, people who do not accept the truth of Jesus will spend eternity in hell. Hell was created for Satan and his demons, not for you. It wasn't created for you. Because Satan wanted to be God. He was an angel. He wanted to be God. Because of his rebellion, he was kicked out of heaven and sentenced to eternity in hell. It wasn't designed for us which maybe gives you an idea of how horrible a place it is. People will go there. Hell is a place of separation. The rich man just wanted some relief. Just give me a drop of water, please. I'm tired of this torment. It's relentless and endless. Then we see that hell is a place of separation. Some people You've maybe seen depictions or cartoons where hell is a giant party because there are no rules anymore. It's not going to be a party. You're not going to be there with your besties and your friends and having a great time. You're going to be all alone. You're going to be lonely and isolated. The rich man was all alone. There's no party going on. There There were no friends. He didn't want his brothers to go there. If you're having a party, you want your friends, your family to come, right? He didn't want his brothers because he knew this was not a party. It is lonely. It is isolating. We've had a little taste of that through this pandemic, being isolated, quarantined, whatever. I don't know about you, that's one of the most horrible things about it, being removed from people, being isolated. Well, that's, that's eternity in hell, isolation, separation. And what's interesting, too, is the rich man could see God. How much more horrible would that be? You're in hell, but you can see heaven. You can see people without any more pain while you're suffering. No more tears, no more death. Only joy, peace, love, happiness, and you are completely miserable to the point of death, but there's no end. That's how horrible hell is. You know what FOMO is, right? Fear of missing out. Well, this rich guy had FOMO to the extreme because he was missing out. He gets to hell and realizes there was another option, and he missed it. He acknowledges God, but it's too late. Think about this for just a minute. There are no atheists in hell. There are no atheists in hell because once they get there, they realize there is a God. 
But then it's too late. This rich man chose not to follow God. And maybe he knew it existed, but he chose not to. But now he knows for sure that was a mistake. He cries to God for mercy, but it's too late. Now is the time for us to cry to God for mercy. Now is the time to accept God's grace, his rescue, and his forgiveness. Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, but for many, it'll be too late. Verse 26 tells us that hell is a place of no escape. The rich man could not span the the chasm to get to heaven, and no one was going from heaven to hell to offer any relief or any hope. So what that says to us is we still have a chance. To avoid hell. We still have a chance. You still have a choice right now. So when you start to compare, you start to think heaven versus hell, and you'd rather choose hell over heaven, that's, that's as crazy as choosing cyanide over sugar. And I know sugar's bad for you, but don't ruin my analogy, all right? It's a slow thing, right? You'd be ridiculous, right? I got Cyanide here, I got sugar here. Hey, I think I'll choose the cyanide. Well, you're an idiot. (laughs) Why would you choose hell over heaven? Either you don't think it exists or you don't know that it exists. Or you don't know there's another way. Well, guess what? Some people don't, and this is where our job comes in. Verse 27, 28 tells us that hell, hell is a place of sadness. You've heard it said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Hell is filled with people who never intended to go there. They thought they were going to make it out. They thought they were going to be okay. But they refused. They denied Jesus Christ through apathy, indifference, procrastination, or ignorance, whatever. But they, they chose not to accept the truth of Jesus, and this is the result. Then the rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers. Hey, they got Moses and the prophets. They've got the Old Testament. If they're not willing to believe that, then they're not going to believe. Well, send somebody from the dead. Well, I did. I raised my son. If they're not willing to listen to his gospel, hey, you think sending somebody back from the dead is going to make that happen for them? We did that. (laughs) But they still deny. They still refuse. They still reject. So it's interesting that we see this rich man and his great concern for his family, that he doesn't want them to be in this place of torment. And what that just says to me is let's not let the population of hell be more concerned than us about warning people that hell is real. Let's not let that desire of those who are already there be deeper than our desire to warn people not to go to hell. This is our job, to let people know that there is a God who loves them and wants them to spend eternity with him. So if you break it down, this rich man had five people on his prayer list. 
How many do you have? Apparently, these were not believers, his brothers. So he knew their destiny was the same as his unless someone told him. Who's on your prayer list? One of the things we challenge you to do when you identify your one person or your one family that are not believers, that you ask God to save them. That's what God wants to do. It's their choice, but he wants to save them, and he wants to use you to help them be aware and be warned that salvation is possible. So at least we can pray for them. And then this passage reminds us that hell is no place for you. It was prepared for Satan and his army. It's not prepared for you and me. But people will go there without Jesus. So the next question is, well, what do you have to do not to go to hell? I am so glad you asked that question. Because I want to tell you. First of all, you have to recognize God's plan. There is one plan, Jesus Christ. There is one plan to get the word out, the church. John 3.16, I read it before, let me read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So you have to recognize God's plan. This is it, the gospel in a nutshell, John 3.16 and 17. The second thing you have to do is realize our problem. We are sinners. Born to sin, we sin. Our sin separates from God. We are dead in our sin. That's a problem we can't fix. We can't cure it. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of perfection. So the, the next step is to admit, I'm a sinner. I need to turn from my sin. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough to get to heaven. I cannot give enough to get into heaven. I need Jesus to rescue me. Recognize God's plan, realize our problem, and then receive God's son. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be rescued. Believe and confess, not just believe that Jesus exists, exists, not just believe that he died and rose again, but accept that as truth, claim him as Lord, invite him into your life as leader and forgiver, to take control as leader and to forgive you for your sins, something you cannot do. So my challenge for you today, if you're not a true disciple of Jesus, is to accept God's free gift of salvation and receive eternal life in heaven. It is available to you today. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you've thought. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter the depth of your sin. God's love is deeper. The cross is more powerful. The empty tomb took care of all this. If you would say today, Ronnie, you know, I believe this. I still have some questions. I don't fully understand everything, but I know that I need God. Just like I did at age six. I, I, I didn't have all the answers, but I knew I needed God. If you will admit today you need God and you're willing to turn from yourself, turn from your way, turn from sin and follow Jesus, you can be saved today. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is God. God died on the cross for you. And three days later, 
He rose from the grave. And now he invites every one of us. No exemptions. We're all invited into a relationship with him. If you would be willing to say today, hey, I I want to do that, Ronnie. I still have questions and things I I want to talk about, but but I know that's what I need to do. Then I, I want to invite you to just pray this prayer with me. Everybody just bow your head and close your eyes. And you can just repeat these phrases after me or say something like it in your own words. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. I proclaim that you are the Son of God. And I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. And I believe that God raised you from the dead three days later. And I believe that you are alive today. Today, I choose to turn from my sin and to follow Jesus. Jesus, I invite you into my life to be the leader and the forgiver of my life. Thank you for rescuing me. Amen. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song together. And then Daniel's going to come back. And if you prayed that prayer, there are some next steps you need to take. And he's going to tell you what those are. Or if you've, at least it's piqued your interest. (laughs) You're intrigued about Jesus. How you can find out more and, and find answers to your questions. We would love to talk to you more about him. So let me pray. We'll sing. You respond. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. You gave it all for us that we might have a relationship with the Father. Thank you for becoming our sin and rescuing us when we had no hope. Jesus, I pray that that many prayed that prayer today that many gave their lives to you today and that they will follow up with next steps. But God, for those of us who already believe in you, have already accepted Jesus as a leader and forgiver of our life, may you just put a burning in our soul, an urgency in our soul that we cannot keep this quiet. God, as you place that one on our heart, that, that family, that person on our heart that doesn't know you, that's far from you, that if they were to die today, would spend eternity in torment. God, just let that eat us up. That we will do whatever we can, whatever is necessary, whatever you lead us to do, to make sure that person at least knows that Jesus is alive. In Jesus' name.